place. Let's stand if you found uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. If you're able to stand, please stand with us and uh, let's uh, look at this verse together. The Bible says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is, cunning in playing, and a mighty, valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in manners, matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now, understand that this is prior to David slaying Goliath. Understand that David is just a teenager, and he's being called a valiant man and a man of war. That's impressive. And so we're going to look at this title tonight, The Secret to David's Success. The Secret to David's Success. There's a list here that is impressive. Is the secret to David's success found in verse 18? I believe it is, but I, I don't know that it is apparent and obvious right off the bat. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we look at these truths, as we prepare our heart, Lord, to remember and commemorate your great sacrifice to us. Uh, Lord, may our hearts be knit one toward another this evening and, more importantly, knit to you. Stir us, Lord, tonight and help us to grow from the Word of God. May it be the bread of life that we need to strengthen us for yet the work week that lays ahead and all that, in, all that entails for each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, earlier this week, I was doing some work around my house, and I had a series of events where everything went wrong. Um, I was trying to put some what's equivalent to stilts on a folding table in my basement, and uh, let's just say that by the time I was done, uh, you know, it was one of these deals where you lift up the table, you get them on there, then you go lift up the other table, you get get them on there, and I made the clumsy mistake... Clumsy is the key word of thinking that I didn't have to take everything off the table, all right? And I could just gently lift it up, and, and sure enough, everything on the table went on the floor. And then the table fell over, and it hit me in the head. And I'm, you know, no one's around, and, and I'm, you know, I'm getting up off the floor, and, I, and I'm frustrated, and I'm upset, and I'm thinking, this is such a silly, simple, easy how come I am so clumsy? And, you know, how many here ever have an insecurity about something that goes back into your childhood? All right. I can remember being a little boy and getting in trouble with my elementary teacher because I dropped my pencil too many times. And my teacher was justified because I dropped my pencil a lot. And uh, I got into junior high and it didn't get much better. And I remember one of my junior high teachers saying, quit dropping your pencil. And I looked up at the teacher And with a sincere heart, I said, I wish I could. I wish I could. Uh, I was outgrowing. I was was growing at such a pace. I was not very coordinated. And um, sometimes I'd trip on the the, uh, painted line on the the ground, you know. I I, I just had a a hard time. The old phrase, can't chew gum and walk, in in my junior high years really did describe me. And I have felt like a clumsy klutz back into my childhood. At times, I still feel like a clumsy klutz. I sometimes trip over my words and can't say quite what I want to. A little bit later in the day, uh, that same day, this past Thursday, I had a piece of trash I was trying to throw into an open trash can from about a foot or two away, and I just flat missed. That was the icing on the cake. 
And then I, I, I was tempted to do, and even did for just a moment, before I caught myself, I was tempted to do what, what uh, most people would be tempted to do, and that's to, in my mind, look around at other people and wonder why they seem to be so well-rounded while I'm just so clumsy. Anybody here ever compared themselves to other people and thought, I, no, I've never. <laughs> um, the reality is that most people, most people maximize their own shortcomings and they maximize other people's greatness, right? We look at what everybody else does well and we put the magnifying glass on that and then we look at what we don't do well and we put the magnifying glass on that. But the reality is we're all flawed humans and we all have our moments of uh, of looking uh, less than spectacular, God wants to work to improve. Uh, God wants us to work to improve ourselves. Um, if you have a personality quirk and you are aware of it, then work on it. But don't, for a moment, gripe about the personality that God gave you. Look back at First Samuel sixteen eighteen. Then answered one of the servants and said, "Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite." That is cunning and playing. So he's a musician, a mighty, valiant man. That speaks of his character. That speaks of, uh, of his uh, ruggedness. A man of war, prudent in matters, a comely or beautiful person to look at. The Lord is with him. That's quite a list, especially for a teenage boy. A little later in the, in the message, we'll dissect this verse and th- that list a little bit more, but by way of introduction, God gave David these talents because God had a very specific calling on his life. Do you know that God made you exactly the way you are because he has a very specific calling on your life? You are custom made. Custom made. Everything from your height to your body type, to your skin color, to your country of birth, and even down to the region of the country and the city of that region that you were born, God handpicked and chose just for you. Everything from your parents and the way you were brought up, your personality, your genetics, your intelligence, your past experiences, even your quirks and your nervous tics. All of it, God gave you for a specific purpose in life. We're going to get into the main secret to success, David's uh, secret to success, a little bit later on in the message. But can I tell you one of them right up front? All right. Learn to accept who you are. Learn to accept who you are. Don't look in the mirror and wish that your nose is a little smaller or your face was shaped different. Don't ever look at yourself and wish God had made you uh, to be a different color or to be a different body type. Don't ever do that. God made you. You speak another language and English is your second language and maybe you have, um, maybe you struggle to speak English as clear as you would like. God chose for you to be born where you were born, and God had you come 
to this country when he had you come here. God makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. God has a specific purpose in your life. Learn to accept who you are, both outward uh, and uh, the personality and such that God gave you inward. Don't try and be someone else. Don't do it. Um, I, I know kids need to hear this. Be you. Don't be someone else, right? Adults need to hear it too. Is sometimes we try to be someone we're not. Sometimes we think we've got to fit a mold. And uh, there are some um, biblical molds we're to follow, but when it comes to you, God made you to be you. God has called you to a specific work, and he's custom-built you for that work. Do not ever, ever, ever be jealous of others who seem to have it all together. Don't. Don't. Don't ever look at someone else and think, well, if I had this attribute of theirs, or if I had that attribute of theirs, no. Be content with who you are and strive to be who God made you to be. Why was David so successful at such a young age? Was it because he was ultra-talented? No. David was ultra-talented. But David was not successful because he was ultra-talented. David was successful because he took the abilities that God had given him and he prepared himself with those abilities, both outwardly and inwardly. Because he was prepared, when opportunity came around, he was successful. Because he was prepared. Listen, you have a different set of talents and abilities than I have. Uh, everyone in the room, your, your set of talents and abilities are custom made to you. It's not whether or not you have my abilities or I have your abilities or you have someone else's abilities. It's not whether or not you had someone else's upbringing or, or your upbringing. And what it's about is can you take the God-given gifts and abilities that you have and cultivate them and prepare them and, 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 and be your best at that set of abilities so that when God brings that opportunity by in your life, you're ready. You're ready. That's the key. The key is not for you to be someone else. The key is for you to be you and for you to be the best at what God made you to be and to be prepared. That is the key. Preparation is the key to success. And you've seen the illustration I've used before where we have Mr. Preparation walking this way and Mr. Opportunity coming this way. And when preparation meets opportunity, lo and behold, you have success. Here's, here's how this works. God has not called you to prepare yourself to do something that he did not make you to do. God has called you to prepare yourself to be good at what he made you to be good at. And then when he brings that opportunity by, lo and behold, you have found the secret to success. In our message this evening, we're going to see what happens when God allows an evil spirit to trouble someone. We will see the power of music tonight. But what I most want us to focus on is what happens when a man or a woman is godly. They give their heart to God. They take the abilities God's given them and they prepare them to their max. And God blesses that hard work and that tender heart. 
We're going to tackle four thoughts out of this, the remainder of this chapter as we consider this title, The Secret to David's Success. All right, let's jump in here. Point number one, notice Saul's punishment. Saul's punishment. Now, we saw last week that God had rejected Saul because um, Saul had rejected the word of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, the end of 1 Samuel 15, the very first verse of 1 Samuel 16, we see this breakup between God and Saul begin. God sends Samuel in to basically break up with Saul and say, hey man, this relationship is over. God has cut you off from being king. Uh, the kingdom has been torn from you, it's been rent from you, you've been rebellious, you've been stubborn, that's like witchcraft and idolatry, this is over. God is going to pick another man to be king outside of your family, you have forfeited that opportunity. And so here in verse 14 and 15, we see the punishment laid on Saul by God. Look at verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Now I think some clarification is necessary uh, for this passage, those that maybe don't understand this. Um, First of all, Saul losing the, the spirit of God has been a talking point for those who think you can lose your salvation. See, Saul lost the spirit of the Lord, so... It worked different in the Old Testament, all right? You go all throughout time, and you can see one of the different uh, 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 godheads interacting separately with humanity. In the Old Testament, God the Father was the godhead that interacted with humanity. Uh, When Jesus walked the earth, God the Son was the Godhead that interacted with humanity. Once Jesus ascended into heaven, we now live in the church age. God the Spirit is the primary one that interacts with humanity. So the Holy Spirit of God did not come and inhabit or indwell someone who got saved or who was a believer in the Old Testament. That is something that has only taken place in the church era, and in my strong opinion, I'll state it as opinion, in my strong opinion, when the rapture occurs and the church is taken out of here, those that are saved during the tribulation, uh, during, the, uh, 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 during that time, the Holy Spirit will no longer inhabit them. They will be saved, but they'll not have the Spirit of God. This is a church age saint's uh, a, a thing only. God, so the Holy Spirit of God did inhabit Saul, as he did a few other Old Testament figures, but this was not a, a something that was an automatic thing when you believe. This was a privilege given to just a select few throughout the Old Testament, and Saul was so chosen at a time in his life to have the Spirit of God inhabit him, and when he chose rebellion and stubbornness and the, and the kingdom was rent from him, that, that privilege was lost. And the spirit of the Lord left. Now, to make matters worse, not only was the spirit of the Lord taken away, God also allowed an evil spirit to possess Saul and trouble him. So the question that is asked after you read these two verses, and is a very fair question, is this. Was Saul demon-possessed? Was Saul demon-possessed? Look back at verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. I do not know whether or not Saul was demon-possessed, but we know at the least there was an evil spirit that oppressed Saul. That oppressed Saul. 
Um, the word demon is not found anywhere in your King James Bible. That might surprise some of you. You cannot find the word demon in the King James Bible, but the concept of evil spirits, which would run synonymous for most with demon, is found both here in this passage and all throughout scriptures. God had allowed uh, this evil spirit uh, in measure to punish Saul uh, in his rebellion. So last week I posed the question, who rejected who? Right? The Bible says God rejected Saul. Well, who really rejected who? Yes, God did reject Saul, but long before we said God rejected Saul, Saul had chosen to reject the Lord. I would say this, uh, when Samuel came and talked to Saul and put his finger in his face and said to him, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Why was an evil spirit oppressing Saul? Did God sit in heaven and say, hmm, let me command one of the evil spirits under Satan to go over and oppress Saul and bother Saul? I don't believe that's how it worked. I think Saul invited these evil spirits in his life because he was rebellious. Yes, the Lord allowed it. Yes, the Lord maybe even had some part in it. But Saul initiated it with his rebellious heart. That brings us to an interesting question. Can Christians today be demon-possessed? I don't believe so. Um, Because we live in the church era and the Holy Spirit of God indwells uh, the believer and that salvation is permanent and cannot be forfeited because we believe clearly the Scripture teaches in eternal security, I do not believe that an evil spirit and the Holy Spirit can coexist in the same person. I just don't believe that to be true. If you're truly saved, I do not believe an evil spirit could ever possess you. However, I do believe that Christians can invite evil spirits to oppress them. Why would this happen? When Christians meddle in sinful activity, especially those that involve the occult, they are asking Satan to torment them. Satan found himself in, or rather Saul found himself in this place of torment. Verse 14 says that the evil spirit troubled him. I'd say to those watching online tonight, I don't think this applies to anyone in the room, but kids listen up because one day it could apply to you. Um, Don't ever be tempted to meddle with, play around with witchcraft. It, It can be sold as something that's fun and exciting, Saul was troubled by this spirit. And long term, that's what happens when you fool around with witchcraft. It troubles you. It it harms you. I'm currently doing, and this lady does not attend her church, I'm I'm currently working with um, a family who has a young lady in their uh, late 40s, early 50s, who has been involved meddling with the occult her whole life and Because of it, it has just beaten her up and torn her down, and she's probably going to be dead in the next couple of years. This is what happens when you play with the occult. Satan wants to destroy you because you're made in the image and likeness of God. You go meddling with him, you're just asking for destruction all the the, the more sooner. Number one, we see Saul's punishment. Number two, we see David's preparation. We said that the key... The key to David's success, the secret to David's success, was that he prepared himself. 
He prepared himself. Look at verse 16 and verse 17 of 1 Samuel 16. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. The wise counselor of King Saul decided that they needed to find someone who could come in and uh, calm Saul's spirit. So a search went forth, and David, the shepherd boy, was the one who was selected to help the king. Uh, Earlier, we talked about how that preparation plus opportunity equals success. What was the secret to David's success? When the time uh, arose and a need was there for David to come in and play the harp, David had prepared himself in such a way to where uh, he could take his private time of practice and be of public service and help. So let's look at three thoughts below David's preparation. Letter A, notice his talents, his talents. Go back to verse 18. Let's take this verse apart a little bit at a time. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is, look here, cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man and a man of war. We'll pick up the rest of the verse in just a moment. God had gifted David with musical ability, and he could play the harp on a royal level. On a royal level. David would later be known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. His songs have been, had been bound up in a collection along with several others that make up the book of Psalm, which was Israel's hymnal. In front of you, you have a hymnal that's six, seven hundred hymnals uh, long. And uh, the book of Psalm is 150 individual songs, not all of them written by David, but the large majority of them. And uh, David wrote those. Not only did he write the words, but he wrote much of the instrumentation. David could play the harp. How many of you here have ever uh, in person seen someone play a full harp? It is beautiful, is it not? The last ministry I served in before I came here, Emmanuel Baptist in Hagerstown, a uh, large church ministry, they had a young lady who could play the harp uh, just, uh, it, was, it was amazing. And she kept her harp at the church, and once every two or three months, they'd wheel that thing out. It, it, it was very large, and uh, probably would, would, would take the space between that speaker and the piano, and she'd come out, and, and, and for the offertory, she would play that harp, and she'd just, it'd captivate everybody. Complicated instrument to play, not the easiest thing to play. I don't know that David's harp was that large, probably a handheld size harp. Uh, not the easiest instrument to play. David had taken the time to learn how to play the harp. But not only could David play the harp, David could compose music. David could write poetry to go with his music. David could probably sing. We don't know that for sure, but I've never met a person that could play an instrument, write music, uh, uh, and put it all together and not be able to sing. How many of you know who Ron Hamilton is? Right? The man could write music. He could, um, uh, he could uh, he not, only the, the, not only compose it, he could write the words to it, and God gave, God gave um, Rod Hamilton an amazing voice. But David was, uh, David was, success, was David successful, rather, because he had talent? That's the question. Was David successful because he had talent? No. David was successful because he took the talent that God gave him 
and he worked hard to develop it to its fullest. A lot of folks riding by on their talent. we got school teachers in the room. Brother Tom, Miss Rose, a handful of others. Brother Scarpetti uh, taught school for years. I can remember being in school and I would work hard and study hard for a test because grades didn't come easy for me. And I'd, I'd, I'd pull out a B plus, A minus. And then there'd be some kid who'd, get, who'd ace it and you'd say, how much did you study? Oh, I didn't study. I didn't study. How many new kids like that? How many were that kid? Or I hate you. Anyway, um, you know what? Uh, I heard t- many teachers say this. Some of you teachers have probably said this. You're blessed to have all that talent, but if you don't start working hard, you're going to be lazy in life. Hard work will outdo talent every day. Every day. Amen? But what happens when God gives you talent and then you put hard work behind that talent and you develop it to its fullest? You see, you can look at someone like Pastor Andrew and think, oh, if I had a voice like that. You can look back in Scripture at someone like David and think, oh, well, clearly he's going to be king. I mean, look at the talent God gave him. The guy could sing all the other things in verse 18. I mean, how could he not be a success? The way he could not be a success is if he had not worked hard and prepared in private. Now, God has not necessarily given you David's talents, but he's given you your talents. And it's time you take your eyes off someone else's talents and put them on the talents God gave you, and you work hard and prepare those talents for his glory and not for your own glory. David not only was good with music, David was a man of war. Look back at verse 18. Verse 18 says that he was a mighty, valiant man, a man of war. He's a teenager here. Not only could David handle a heart, but he could swing a sword. Not, not only did David know how to serenade his sheep, he knew how to stand in the presence of a king and look like a man. Not only did David know how to slay a giant, but as a young man he knew how to lead Israel's armies and do so successfully. David had taken all of the talents that God had given him and had developed them to their fullest, and he did so at a young age. Parents, let me talk to you for a minute. All the parents in the room with young children, you are cheating your children by letting them be lazy. You are cheating your children. I like all the rest of you and watching on with horror at what's going on on the other side of the ocean. I don't know much of anyone who condones or is for the war that's taking place in Ukraine at the moment. And, and I'm amazed at um, the resiliency of the Ukrainians to order their young people to pick up guns and, and, and fight. Fight for their nation and, and, and fight tooth and nail to the end. I think back to World War II and World War I and the Civil War and the Revolutionary War, how teenagers were not treated like teenagers, they were treated like adults. I really believe one of the cultural crimes that's taken place in our Western culture is even this term teenager. I don't necessarily love the term teenager. I don't love the term teenager. I think we cheat kids when we call them teenagers. It's like you get a five-year pass to act like an idiot and get away with it. That's what we're telling kids, is it not? Oh, they're just a teenager. Let them stay up till 3 a.m. playing video games. They're just teenagers. You're cheating your kids by letting them be lazy. We let the world tell our children what to think. We let their brains decay in their head. 
playing video games and hanging out on their cell phone. And we're not pushing them to develop their God-given talents, to be ready to serve Him with their life. I have never seen anyone find true success who is leaning on talent alone. Talent must be backed up with hard work. To each one here, each one here, whether you're young or old, whether you're new to the Christian life or not, God has given you a custom set of talents. And when you got saved, he added to that spiritual gifts. Develop them. Figure out what they are. Use them for his glory. It is never too late to start. Letter A, we see his talents. Letter B, we see his, te- his teachability. His teachability. Look back at verse 18. The Bible says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing, and a mighty, valiant man, a man of war. Look here. And prudent in matters, prudent in matters, and a comely person. The word prudent there means discerning. David was teachable. David was teachable. He was discerning. He, he was wanting to find truth. The word translated comely in other places in the Hebrew translated into English, that same word in other places in the Old Testament is translated well-favored. He was well-favored. David was a true joy to be around. Why? Because he was unassuming and not entitled. He was respectful. He was teachable. Letter C, we see his testimony. His testimony. Look back at verse 18. Look at the very end of the verse there. Let's read that last phrase together. Ready? Here we go. And the Lord is with him. Ready? And the Lord is with him. Maybe no greater words could be spoken about a believer. Our theme this year is a heart for God. Why was the Lord with David? Because God had David's heart and David was in pursuit of God's heart. When people spend time with you, are they impressed by your charisma? Are they blown away by your talent? Are they enamored by your polish and your fun, lovable personality? Your, the warmness of your spirit? Or do they walk away from you and say, that man or that woman knows the Lord? The Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. No greater compliment could be given than when someone walks away from you after a casual interaction and says, that man or that woman loves God and the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. Why was David successful? Was it because he knew how to play a harp? No. Was it because he knew how to wield a sword? No. Was David successful because he was a valiant man of war? No. David was successful because he took the talents God gave him and he developed them. He had enough character to develop them. And David walked with God. And God was with him. God was with him. As a young man coming out of Bible college, preaching was everything to me. And I I still, you can tell, I still love preaching. But the truth is, if we have a visitor come in this building and leave, and they say, man, he's homiletically great. He's got his doctrine down. he's, He's smart. He's intelligent. 
They walk away and think all of those things. I have failed. I have failed. If they walk out of those doors and they say, that man loves God and the Lord is with him, then I have succeeded. To the teachers in the room, I talked about teachers a few minutes ago. To the teachers in the room, those students ought to leave your class and they ought to think to themselves, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. You get called into your boss's office at work. The boss ought to say about you later, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. What is it? And after some time, they realize the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. There's a sweet fellowship in their spirit with the Lord. Their temperament, their attitude, uh, their actions, uh, they, they breathe out godliness because the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. What was the secret to David's success? The Lord was with him. We see, number one, Saul's punishment. Number two, David's preparation. Number three, quickly notice music's power. Music's power. Look down at verse number 16. 1 Samuel 16, 16. The Bible says, Let our Lord now, this is David's right-hand man, this is David's counselor, let our Lord now command uh, uh, thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. Let me ask you a question. Did good music have a positive effect on Saul's spirit? Did it soothe him? Look down at verse number 23. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Someday, someday I'll preach an entire sermon on the power of music. Tonight I'm only going to touch and go, but musical instrumentation has the power to either conjure up and worship evil spirits or drive them away. Am I stretching Scripture right now? Can we not draw that conclusion from this passage? Some music, some music um, evil spirits enjoy. And I'm not talking about the words. I'm talking about the music itself. Other music, evil spirits leave. I, I thought of several things in putting this message together. One of the things I thought about was the temptation of Christ. So, well, there's no music in that story. And I know that. You think I don't know that? I'm the pastor. Come on now. But you remember that when Jesus quoted Scripture, after the third time, Satan left. And here, when the harp is played, the evil spirits leave. I believe there is music. And again, I'm not talking about words. I'm talking about instrumentation at this moment. There's instrumentation that evil spirits do not feel comfortable around, and there's instrumentation where evil spirits do feel comfortable around. Music is powerful. David, who is a man after God's own heart, wrote instrumentation as well as words which were meant to lift up and edify. Music that has pose, music that has order. He did not write music that was disorderly and confusing. 
David's music brought glory to God, not glory or attention to the flesh. Years ago, I had a woman who attended a Spanish ministry where I pastored. This woman, I believe, to have been a born-again believer who was oppressed by evil spirits. I believe that because she told me she was oppressed by evil spirits. She told me that she could hear even at times their voices. I sat in the office with this lady and her husband. and She said to me, when I'm home all by myself and my husband's at work, I hear evil, evil spirits, I hear voices. And they tell me to listen to dark, satanic style music. And she said, and when I do, I want to kill myself. Music's powerful. You ever been watching a movie and you see someone walking down the hall? What's so scary about someone walking down the hall? Nothing. Until they cue that music, right? And then every nerve in your body, and then someone walks up behind you and grabs you, and, you know, you've you got to change your clothes. Amen? What is so sappy about a man and woman running through a field together? Nothing. But if you do it just right, you can even draw tears out of my eyes. Right? You cue just the right music. Uh huh. Did you know that if they want to hurry you out of a restaurant, they play one style of music, and if they want you to stay a while, they play a different? You see, everyone outside of Christianity has long accepted the psychology of music. But Christians are in denial that rock and roll music is bad for your soul. It just is. Music is powerful. It's powerful. We have to be careful what music. And again, I'm not talking about the words. Clearly, we don't need to be listening to uh, uh, sinful words. I'm talking about the music that goes, the instrumentation that goes with those words, we need to be very careful how we guard our spirit. This is a nuanced conversation. It's a nuanced discussion. There's a lot to it. There is a lot of gray area in this, on this topic where I can't tell you that this particular song or uh, uh, this uh, particular uh, instrumentation is wrong or right, but I will say this, you make sure you, that whatever you do, you do it by faith and you walk with the Lord. Number one, Saul's punishment. Number two, David's preparation. Number three, music's power. Let's finish out the message with number four, David's promotion. David's promotion. Look down at verse number 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he, Saul, loved him, David, greatly. And David became Saul's armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in thy sight. Wow. I've seen folks look at someone who's successful and say, How come they just get so lucky? The old phrase is, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right? 
The harder I work, the luckier I get. Um, And to those of you that are sitting there, I don't believe in luck. I don't either, okay? Context, all right? Context. The reason why David got promoted is because David prepared. David prepared. When no one else was watching and everyone else was playing, David was working. Oftentimes we view the David who slew Goliath as this novice little child who is brand new to war. But 1 Samuel 16 indicates that David was loved by Saul and promoted to be his armor bearer. God had a special plan for David prior to his birth. God gave David everything he needed to accomplish that plan. What was the secret for David's success? He took the talents God had given him and he prepared himself. He took the talents that God gave him and he worked hard to develop those for God's glory. David was teachable. He was well-favored and discerning in all of his ways. Uh, David maintained a godly testimony. He walked with, his walk with God was evident to even the most casual observer of his life. And what did God do for David? He promoted him within the kingdom. He gave David a small glimpse into life inside of the very palace that he would one day rule. To every one of you in front of me this evening, God has gifted you with personalities, talents, family, color of skin, background, intellect, and many other things. You are custom made by God for a specific purpose. There's not a single person in this room who is inferior or or, or superior. We are all equal. We're all custom made in the sight of God for a specific purpose. And God has called all of us to step forth and prepare ourselves and develop ourselves so that when He brings those opportunities by in life, we're ready for success. Don't you ever stare at the mirror and wish you were different? Don't you ever look at your personality and wish you were different? Don't you ever look at someone else and compare yourself and wish you were them? Don't you ever have a moment where uh, you are tempted to look out elsewhere? You be who God made you to be. You take the abilities and talents and gifts God's given you and you prepare them for the fullest use that God could have for you. And when you're prepared, that opportunity will come along And you'll experience eternal success. Many people look at their talents and expect their talents to carry them through. And again, I would reiterate, work hard to develop those talents for God's glory. Do not not rest on your laurels. Do not lean on your talents that God's given you to get by in life. Work hard. To those of you that God has given a lot of talents... You have several spiritual gifts. Do not become arrogant in your abilities. Did you know that God can rip those talents and abilities and gifts away from you anytime He wants? Anytime He wants. Don't you boast. It's an easy trap to fall into, is it not? You get through teaching a life group, you get through singing a song, you get through uh, cleaning a, a, a space and, and people notice you. You have a big day on the bus route, you, 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 you do something that's public knowledge well and people want to come running to your side. 
Oh, you did so great. Didn't I? And God can rip those abilities away from you anytime He wants. He did not give you those abilities for you to lift yourself up and be puffed up in pride. He gave you those abilities so that you could further His work and His kingdom and His name and offer Him glory. Do not forget to walk with God and love Him with all your heart. Let it be evident to everyone that meets you that God is the most important person in your life. What were David's secrets to success? He prepared himself. When the opportunity came, God was able to promote him. Are you preparing yourself for the work God has for you? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The message tonight is so simple. It's, it's almost too simple. But boy, it's something that we all can struggle with. I wish I was him. I wish I was her. I wish I had his children. I wish I had her looks. I wish I had his... No, 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 no. God gave you exactly what you need to accomplish your, his purpose in your life. Get your eyes off everyone else and put your eyes on the Lord. Be prepared. Be prepared. Lord, tonight, would you help us to find that secret of success, of godliness? Lord, it was put so plainly in the book of 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. May we be content with who we are. May we work hard to be godly. May we be prepared when those opportunities come by. May we experience eternal success. Spirit of God, work in each heart differently tonight. Put your finger in areas where we can grow and improve. And Lord, help us to be a better people for it. In Jesus' name.